What's up, everybody? Welcome to What's in Your Glass. As you know, I'm the host, Carmelo Anthony. Let's welcome today's guest. You know him as one of the most iconic names in the fashion world. Please welcome to the show the multi-talented John Barbados. Here's Melo. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks big, for being big, on. Big, big, big fan. Oh, uh, likewise, man. You know, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, of your work as well. So mutual, mutual feelings. Let's talk about the, that tequila that you're actually drinking right now. The Villa One. Let's yeah. let's talk about that. So this this tequila um, is is your new venture with with Nick Jonas. Um, first of all, what is your friendship like with with Nick? Um, and how do you meet? Uh, and what what is what is this collaboration like? Yeah, interesting interesting friendship with Nick. It's a special friendship too. But we met. Um, I guess about seven years ago at a dinner in New York that was hosted by Rock Nation. And they were bringing together some people, creatives, um, people in the sports world, but uh, t- probably 20 people over dinner just to get together and, and, and brainstorm. And um, Nick and I ended up uh, talking right out of the box. I knew his brother, Joe, and we ended up sitting next to din- next to each other in dinner and we never really socialized with anybody else the rest of the night. We got into these conversations about family and music and fashion and life in general. And, uh, you know, he's Nixa uh, is really, you know, kind of ha- almost half my age. And it was just an instant connection. It had nothing to do about age or anything. We just connected on so many levels that over the upcoming weeks and months and that we started spending more time together. And he, um, he called me, uh, you know, a few days after that and said, I'm in the studio working on some new music. I'd love to have you come by and, um, listen to it and give me your thoughts. Cause I also have a record label. He wanted just, you know, he, he liked my ear from stuff that we had talked about. And that night that we first uh, met though at that dinner, we drank, it was, it was a, it was an evening of drinking tequila and, and getting to know each other. When I got to the studio, he had a bottle of tequila on the console in the middle of the studio. When I walked in at like four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, Oh no, here we go again. Um, and that really became the beginning of our friendship was, you know, talking about all different things in life, but over a, uh, over a glass or a bottle of tequila. And the one thing we both shared with it was not only the passion for tequila, but in a way, in a a celebratory way, how tequila is something like champagne in a way, like you want to share it with good friends and family and enjoy life like that as well. So we spent um, a number of, you know, uh, days together over the upcoming months when he was in New York or I was in LA and then we talked about doing a, a, a bit of a fashion collaboration, a little capsule. And so we worked on that. And while we were working on that, of course, we were drinking more tequila. And um, we put that out and it was super successful. We did a f- couple of fragrances, actually, that were very, very successful and won kind of International Fragrance of the Year Awards, which is kind of a big thing. And while we were doing that one day, I actually was traveling. Nick called me and said, we should really be doing tequila. You know, we love tequila. We're, we're passionate about it. Nick's a type 1 diabetic. So for him, it's the cleanest, purest drink as well. Um, and it's also, if, if you can say any spirits are healthy, it's the healthiest of all spirits. <laughs> for sure, that's totally truthful. Um, 
So we started the whole thought process on what that would be. Why? First of all, why we would do a tequila. And we said the only way we should do one is that if it's not that we're just going to, someone's going to use our name, but it's really all about the juice. The liquid is the most important thing because that's the thing that we all come back to and that you enjoy. We can be there to help it, but um, let's really, if we can do something that's best in class, um, kind of things like things that you get involved with, you only want to do things that are really best in class. And so he had a pre-existing relationship. I don't even know what that means exactly, but with, uh, with Stoli Group. <laughs> and uh, we had a meeting with them, and we had this whole story about what we were thinking about doing, and, the, and they loved the whole concept. They loved that they, we weren't considering another celebrity spirit, that we were really considering it a best-in-class product, that we would use whatever celebrity that we have to help it. But in the end, it was really all about having the best product out there for, you know, for the price value, let's say. And how could we create something that was competitive with uh, tequilas that were two or three times the price of ours as well? So that was the beginning of it. Um, I don't know if you want me to keep going there, but... Um, no, yeah, because my, I mean, my, my, my next question was going to be, like, what, what was the story behind it? What, you know, what, what, what made you want to launch a tequila? And what was the story actually behind yeah, so, you know, wanting to, wanting to do a tequila was really being so passionate. I've been drinking tequila for almost half my life. When I started, they were pretty shitty tequilas. <laughs> it, was, it was before, it was before, it was also, I couldn't afford them, but there was also before the days of what we call ultra premium tequila. That really started in the early 2000s. And today, some of those um, brands wouldn't even be considered ultra premium because there's such high quality tequilas out there. And Nick also, since he began drinking at the age of drinking age, was drinking tequila as well. Um, so, you know, it was, a, it was a real passion that we shared. And then we, when, we, when we had this connection with the Stoli Group, they invited us down. They had just bought a 70-year-old, uh, 70-year-old, um, distillery in Alisco, Mexico, which is in the region of tequila. And they wanted us to come and visit at the visit the distillery. So on the way down, kind of a funny story, but we got to the airport and and Nick it was it was flying with one of Nick's private planes at the time. And his uh, manager said, we're not going to Guadalajara tonight. We're going to go to Cabo. I'm like, it's like completely out of the way. Like, why are we going to Cabo? And he said, because we need to do, we, we also had some people from Stoli. He said, because we need to do something that really, you know, brings everybody together. And we really have a special moment. So we ended up going there and staying at a very special resort for eight hours max. We were there. But during that time, over tequila, good food, uh, you know, talking about what we thought this brand could be, how we would market it, all of that. Um, it, we got, all of us got super pumped about it. And at uh, maybe 2, 2.30 in the morning before we all decided to go to bed because we had to get up at 6 to leave for Guadalajara, um, Nick raised his glass and said, to life as it should be. Mm. And what he meant by that was, again, getting back to being with people that you care about, enjoying those times together, 
And when I said at that moment, I said, that has to be our mantra. Like I hadn't heard that before. That's totally got to be our mantra for the brand, which it is. Uh, and where we were staying the next morning when we got up, um, I got up at six o'clock, made coffee for the crew in the kitchen and then walked out in front. It was a beautiful day. I walked out in front um, of this little villa and on the gate behind it, it said Villa One. Because oh, they, they had multiple <laughs> villas. And I just, Nick came out and I said, look at this. And we both kind of said like, this is something here. It's a place that really we conceived some of the things that we were doing. It's kind of where we felt like we really kind of kicked the real, the, the real start of this off. And so that was the kind of the beginning of us really looking into uh, using the Villa One name. And we then headed down to Alisco and met, we were met at the gates of the distillery by the master distiller for the distillery, who in that region, we had no idea at the time, is considered the godfather of tequila. He's been making tequila for most of his life. He's created some of the top brands out there. And they had hired him to run this um, distillery. His name's Arturo Fuentes. And I consider Arturo part of Part of our, you know, it's kind of the three amigos with Nick, <laughs> myself, and Arturo. Um, and he's our secret weapon. He really is, you know, when I talk about the magics in the bottle, here's our bottle. When I talk about the magics in this bottle, it's Arturo inside this bottle as well. It's his magic that he helped us create. So You, you, you mentioned passion early on. Like, where, where, did, the, where did the passion for, uh, for tequila come from? You know, I, it's kind of like you and wine, I think too, you know, I think it's you, it's, you know, it, it, it encompasses so many feelings about it. It's not of course, it's searching for the right taste profile and, you know, you kind of get addicted to that whole search of the newness, the different thing, um, something special. I will say the, a little bit more of, as I, as I got a little bit, older and, and connected with it even more the you know when I would work with my trainer and he'd say like what did you eat last night what did you drink and I'd say I had a couple glasses of tequila he goes okay if you're gonna drink that's the only thing you should be drinking and I took it as the gospel <laughs> <laughs> so, so what what makes Villa One special aside from the story aside from how you came up with it in the story what makes it special well first of it's the liquid. So the liquid really is um, each one has a separate, you know, taste profile. We do a silver, a reposado, and a, an añejo. And it's the amount of distilling that goes into it. It's Arturo and his blending of all of those. Um, but we also have a bit of a secret weapon as well besides Arturo in that we own our own distillery. We own our own agave plantations, now multiple ones, which most people, most brands don't. Most brands don't even own their distillery. They job it out to different people. So the quality control is great. But in those agave plantations, we source the agave from both the highlands and the lowlands. And the highlands are very sweet. And they add one aspect to it that you don't have to put any sugar into the product. And then the lowlands are more nutty and earthy. So the combined, the combination of the two, and as far as we know, we're, we're one of only two brands that actually use both, and the other one's a very small one. So it is a, it is a special way of, of blending and distilling then. And then, you know, our, our, our Reposado is like six to nine months um, in American oak barrels, and our, 
Uh, Añejo has done 12 to 16 months in uh, American oak barrels as well. I really have to taste the tequila, by, by the way. You, you just, yes, you, you, just so, you just sold me on the, on the whole lifestyle. And the actual juice, it has to be, it's very important. Stepping away from uh, tequila for a second and then just bringing it all the way back to the beginning. Like, what, what was it like? We show up like growing up in Detroit, and did, did that have anything to do with? Um, we we'll get to that next question. What was it like growing up in, in Detroit? Well, I grew up in uh, I grew up in Detroit. Really, you know, in the seventies, let's say, was when I was starting to grow up there, and um, it was, um, you know, what it's an industrial town, so it wasn't a beautiful fashion town. I, you know, some people ask me how I got to fashion from there. And I, and I grew up in a little like eight or 900 square foot house with seven people in it. So five kids and my parents with one little bathroom, but that's all we knew. So I didn't think it was anything out of the ordinary. When I go back now and look, I think like, how did we ever do that? (laughs) Every morning, seven people, seven people lined up for the bathroom, you know, but I, I, um, the one thing I did learn there was I didn't learn. uh, One thing I started to really develop was passion for different things. And the first one was really music because living in that little house, there was really nowhere to hide. You know, I could go down to the basement, but that was really about it. But I, 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 I took music in, in a very big way and I would put my headphones on and it transported me someplace. I was all of a sudden, someplace else, I was away from my two brothers in this little room. I was away from my family, all kind of in this house. So, um, and, and Detroit was a real city of, of pride, even though it had been gone through a lot of, a lot of issues. Um, it, 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 there was a lot of pride there as well, and, and, a, and a work ethic as well. And so those are the only things I knew growing up was you know, music, pride for, for what you do and, and, and the work ethic, no matter what. So, you know, my work ethic started as a young teenager because it had to, because I had to work and I had to find a way to get to school and, you know, go on from there. My parents really weren't able to support me to go to college. I had to find ways on my own to do that. So when did you start to pay attention to fashion? When did fashion come in, come to come into play? When I started to think about girls in a serious way, um, I really, you know, I noticed one day that I had got a sweater and I was still in junior high school, so probably ninth grade or something. And I got a great reaction from multiple girls. that day. <laughs> So I'm like, I need to find a way to be involved in this in a bigger way. So I started putting applications into different clothing stores that I could potentially get a discount in. So, you know, not only could I make some money, but I could get some more clothes, you know, <laughs> and, and it really started, it really started that way. And that's a true story. It really started that way. And it continued that way through high school and even into college. I mean, I, I then began to develop the, the, a passion for putting clothes together, style, following other people's style, mostly musicians at the time, but really fi- following people's style. And never emulating someone, but also maybe Keith Richards scarf or this person's boots or whatever, you know, pulling different things together and kind of, kind of create my own style, never thinking about, you know, 
I mean, in Detroit, we didn't really even know what a fashion designer was at that point in time. And there were, they weren't really around in, in, in America at that time. And you had, you had, you had career stops both at uh, Ralph Florin and Calvert Klein. Uh, right. Like what, right. Like, what was it like working for each? Because it's, it's, it's different. Yeah. It was completely different. They're two completely different brands and completely two different personalities and DNAs behind those brands. Um, so I started at Ralph Lauren and I spent, it was really where I got my education. I call it Polo University because it was an amazing brand to understand everything from product design to branding because he's one of the ultimate branders out there in the world. And then when I went to Calvin to head up design at Calvin Klein, it was completely different. It was about sex and a different kind of marketing and a different kind of clothing. And I loved it. I loved that it was something different and it had a different edge to it. Um, and it was probably more in my, in my mindset than the kind of preppiness of Ralph Lauren. It was probably more you know, the freedom that I had at Calvin in terms of product was probably more in my own personal taste level as well. Um, and then I came back to Ralph Lauren in 1994, where I became head of design for all the menswear brands at, at, at Ralph Lauren Polo at that time. What, what, what made you what made you want to break off as a, as your own designer? You know, and it was at the end of 1999, I. I happened to be in a store that's now gone that we all know, but Barney's New York. I was walking on the store on Madison Avenue here and um, a couple of weeks before Christmas. And I was walking around the men's area and I felt like so many things were looking the same. And just something, a lightning bolt hit me at that point in time because I had offers over time to do my own thing and have other people back me. But at that moment, I just thought like, wow, there, it's, a, it's absolutely the time to do something different. And I had it, I've always been having this idea for something different in the back of my mind. And I pulled the trigger immediately on it. It wasn't something that it took weeks or months or whatever to bubble up. The next morning, I started moving on that whole thought process. Wow. That brings me to kind of another question I wanted to ask you on, you know, the timing and the vision of, of a lot of your work and a lot of your brands and your, your fashion, like how important it is to you that you think it is to stay true to your vision? Because a lot of people might have a vision. They might be told, oh, this shit don't work. Get rid of that. Don't do that. And they might get discouraged by that. But how, how, how would you say how important it is to stay true to that vision? It, you know, it's probably the most important thing because in the end, it's your brand and people look to you for certain things. Um, and there's very few brands that can constantly totally reinvent themselves, total reinvention. Evolution is a big thing that we all need to do, but revolution is a difficult thing in the fashion world for brands to continue to, it's a little easier today because there's so much fashion out there today and so much noise around fashion. But probably when I started in 2000, it was a little different, but, but, but the D, but being true to your DNA and to your soul of your brand is the most important thing for sure. doesn't mean you shouldn't evolve. It doesn't mean you shouldn't push your walls out, but um, it's the one thing, like if you look at a company like Ralph Lauren, which is one of the biggest fashion brands in the world, maybe the biggest one uh, as a, as a designer, it's been him not wavering doesn't mean he hasn't pushed his walls up, but not wavering from that DNA. 
very being true. And it, it's, you know, there's been times where the whole organization was, even when I rejoined in 1994, the part of the organization wanted me to push him to go a different direction because the marketplace was rumbling about different things and their business was kind of softening a little bit. And he fought it. And I, I, I have to say it was, I learned a lot. That's why I also kind of call it Polo University because you really learn that, you know, it's easy to listen to a lot of people, but when you have something that you own, that is your own personality and your own DNA, don't give it away to somebody else. Keep in control of your IP, for sure. I'll tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you think about fashion versus style, right, how, how would you define the difference between the two? Well, fashion is, for me, is, is of the moment. It's something that kind of comes and goes. Uh, it generally doesn't have any kind of long-term life to it. But style I look at is, is kind of ageless and timeless. And I don't look at style just about clothes. I look at how people carry themselves, not just in their clothes, but what they feel like when they walk into the room or they leave the room, what they leave you with. So style is much more encompassing. It's also about the person and not just about the clothes, where fashion is strictly about the clothes. Yeah, the, the style is the swag, for sure. Yep, yeah, <laughs> style, for sure. Style is the swag. I want to talk to you about music. Uh, like, how, how has music, like, influenced you throughout your life? Because I know you're very big into music. Um, you're an artist, you know, you're, you're yourself. Um, but but how has music influenced you throughout your life? I would say it's the biggest influence for me from a creative standpoint. I've, I find that it's my energy force. So I can't walk into my studio or work from home or whatever I do without having music on. It's just, and the music can change. It can be a different mood in the morning, something different, or what I'm working on might be driven by that. But, but most importantly, I find it, it, it's, a, it's a real true energy force and a huge part of who I am personally. And, you know, I could live with a lot of, without a lot of things in my life, but I couldn't live without music. There's no way I could live without it. It's too important. And it's important to a lot of people. But, um, and I think it's great. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it, it means so much. And, it, you know, it led to... I don't know how many years ago now, probably six or seven years ago, Universal Music approaching me about creating a label together with them, which, you know, I've now had for that period of time. And, you know, it's been an exciting thing because uh, I, for me, I've looked at it like I really want to help young artists in a world today that's kind of driven by pop music. I want to give artists that aren't necessarily pop artists an opportunity um, to get their music out there because most other than, other than pop kind of hip hop and rap, there's really not much else out there to like rock and roll is not really happening today and that kind of thing. And I've got an amazing young artist right now that I'm super excited from, from Seattle. Um, and he's opening up for the Rolling Stones in Detroit, oh, that's major. which that's is, major. which is a major <laughs> thing. And, and well, the other thing that's really major about it is, they are the only African-American rock band that we know of that is living and breathing today that's total African-American, all players in it. And they are badass motherfuckers. I mean, they really are. They are just, they are great. And they're, you know, they're, they're just, their live show's amazing. Um, and, I'm, and I'm so psyched for them. You know, it's really, 
it's really not about me with that. It's really, I'm so, I was just, his name's Aaron Jones. And he, I was just talking to Aaron last night and I just, I could just, I wanted to just impart how proud of him I am, but he, the excitement coming through that phone last night for him opening for the Rolling Stones was like a kid who grew up in Seattle that really didn't have his parents. He was a child of the state. And now he's this, you know, top billboard number one song, uh, the longest uh, song on billboard number one this year for any rock music. And, um, and all of a sudden proved himself that he didn't go the way his parents went. He was really able to stay out of all the mire and all the underground stuff that, that consumed his parents. And he was able to make something of himself as well. So it's a great moment when you can work with somebody like that, help give them the opportunity and they rise to the occasion. doesn't happen very often for sure, but it's a pretty special moment. Yeah. And to rise to the occasion of opening up for the Rolling Stones, that's, in Detroit, yeah. <laughs> which, which is which is music yeah. heaven out there in Detroit. So it's yeah, you know, big, sure. big, big shout out, big shout out to him for that. Um, what 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 draw you uh, to certain kinds of music, and, and, and kind of what made you want to expand like furtherly and creatively into you know the music space? Well, you know, growing up in Detroit, as you as you well understand, I I still I mean the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame may be in Cleveland, but the the best music city in America was really Detroit. I mean, Motown, blues, jazz, rock and roll, gospel, everything was there, you know? And it was a cornucopia of amazing music and style and conglomeration of a lot of those things as well. So for me, it was, you know, so much of that, being exposed to so much of it and being, loving all of those, all of those of that music that I just talked about. I love every one of those genres. And I love that how certain ones blended and morphed into something else. And it still remains a lot of that because I think the fight in Detroit to somehow overcome is still going on. Oh, for sure. And music, and music, you know, is a place where um, people can use their voice to talk about the fight, how to get out of it, you know, Every, every, tell their stories in that. And I think in today's world with as many crazy things as we have going on, you know, music today, and I'll say that isn't pop music generally, music today, whether it's hip hop or it's rock or whatever, they're about storytelling and they're about bringing people into those, into that place and sharing experiences with people that other people are living or having issues or whatever it is. And so I look at that as being, again, the, a huge driving force for me, you know, loving the whole aspect of music. And, and there's also one more thing I'll say. I always loved that from a young kid, I kind of, I guess I probably thought about it more when I was in college. I found this incestuousness between music and, and, uh, and design, that every designer wanted to be a musician and every musician wanted to be a designer. <laughs> it's similar. It's similar to sports. Exactly. It's similar to sports. Exactly. <laughs> every you know, all the rappers and the musicians want to want to be athletes and vice versa. Exactly. So it's uh it's, it's definitely a very big connection, a broad connection when it comes to music, sports, fashion. Bringing it all back to kind of why we're here, what's in your glass. I, 
before we end, I just have a few quick fire uh, questions for you uh, to close us out. Uh, we just, me and the people, we just have to know kind of what's in your glass on some certain, on some special occasions. Um, it, it doesn't have to be labeled specifically, but what's what's your go-to when I would say you're, you're on a beach vacation? Margarita, a margarita, a light margarita, uh, not with a a light margarita, spicy margarita, that type of thing. Yeah. I feel like I'm really on vacation when I'm drinking that. <laughs> you, you're, you're, out, you're out at dinner at a nice restaurant. Uh, you know, it could be anything from a glass of tequila with you know, just a slice of orange or just on the rocks. Or it could start with that and then end, uh, end with a beautiful bottle of wine. So you start with the tequila, then end with the wine. Yeah, okay. yeah. I usually, I usually Not, do it the other way. You don't around. want to have too much of these. I usually do it the other way around. <laughs> no, I usually have a cocktail pre, <laughs> pre. <laughs> what, what you're you're celebrating your, uh, let's see, your, your, okay, your first CFDA award. What's in your glass? Tequila. There's no doubt about okay. it. I, I I had a hard time waking up the next morning after that night. Oh, of course. <laughs> I, I can I can only imagine. I can only imagine. You're cel- you're celebrating your 20th anniversary of, of the brand. That's that's interesting. For a 20th anniversary of the brand, I probably would be creating something, a drink for us at that point in time. I'm not much of a mixologist, but I COVID did definitely had me. <laughs> Mixing. <laughs> gave me some time, gave me some time to play around. And so I, I love to, I love to celebrate that moment. I, you know, I just launched a new brand called On This Day. Mm. It's a men's and women's completely different than what I'm doing. And On This Day is about celebrating that moment. And when you think about um, things that, um, you know, whether it's you're with somebody that you love or whatever it is, it's uh, that type of thing. And so I love creating drinks around that moment today. Like, what is it about today that's special? Let's create something that's memorable for today. Oh, man. I just want to say thank you, man. John, thanks so much for joining me for a glass. Uh, and just best of luck with, with, with everything you have going on right now. Uh, I want to thank you, the audience, for tuning in this week. Uh, please follow, rate, review, as you know, what's in your glass on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast at. Uh, you can also check the video releases out each week on YouTube. Um, again, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on Villa One. Congratulations on your, your, your record label. Uh, I'm sure I'll be hearing about the, the opening for the Rolling Stones the, during that concert. I'll be, I'll be paying attention <laughs> to that. Maybe sipping on some tequila. So, and I'll be waiting on. You're gonna, tequila. you're gonna definitely get some tequila. So, such an honor to be with you. Big fan. Keep, keep up. Uh, you know all the good positive uh, vibes that you're always uh, sending out to everybody here. I appreciate it, John. Thank you so much. Yeah.